0: you're listening listening to hold that thought
1: from arts and sciences at washington university in st louis to kick off our focus topic farms and food in our first podcast professor glenn stone from washington university in st louis described his research on sustainability and farming in nigeria india and the u.s We left off talking about sustainability and industrial agriculture. In the following segment, Professor Stone provides some background information to help us bring the ongoing debates over industrial agriculture into context. How did food production in the U.S. become what it is today? What are some of the risks? What follows is part history lesson, part social commentary. First, we need to go back a few decades, to before World War II. It turns out that the explosive debates over food production today can actually be traced to bombs.
0: Industrial agriculture actually started well before World War II. Probably the earliest form of industrial agriculture was the, the fertilizer trade, which started in the in the 1840s in Europe. But since since then, agriculture has come to rely on more and more technologies that come from off the farm, which is one way of defining industrial agriculture. So we have um, hybrid seeds spreading throughout the country in the 1930s, we have tractors spreading in the 1920s, but it's really after World War II that agriculture becomes hyper-industrial. And one of the main reasons for that is that we had built so many factories in this country during World War II to produce bombs. And what bomb producing factories basically do is make fixed nitrogen. And fixed nitrogen, exactly the same stuff that goes into a bomb, is also the stuff that fertilizes crops. So after World War II, we basically beat our swords into plowshares and turned bomb factories into fertilizer factories. So the country, starting in the late 1940s, had a flood of fertilizer actually more fertilizer than the crops could absorb, but seed companies started to breed fertilizer-intensive seeds so that the seeds could be planted much more densely into a field, as, and then uh, you give them lots of fertilizer, and then you give them lots of water, and that meant that you could plant uh, more than twice as many plants in the same field as you could before. Unfortunately, that also made it a perfect habitat for more pests and plant diseases and fortunately for the farmers, uh, World War II also provided lots of technologies for, for pesticides. So as we get into the 1950s, farmers are starting to use lots more fertilizer, lots more water, planting seeds much more densely, producing more habitats for insects and diseases and using more pesticide. So sort of the modern form of hyper-industrial agriculture really got going in the the 1950s. And by the early 1960s, at least a few people, most famously Rachel Carson, started to recognize that something was going terribly awry. So starting in the early 1960s, especially with Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, um, a big national debate started that had to do with a lot more than just Should we allow these pesticides to be used? It had to do with the whole philosophy of agriculture and how people think about agriculture. We still talk in terms of conquest. We still haven't become mature enough to think of ourselves as only a tiny part of a vast and incredible universe. Man's attitude... And we had this idea that was big in the 50s that uh, we can conquer nature and that uh, better living through chemistry and technology can allow us to assert ourselves and produce exactly the way we want to. and then starting in the 60s and especially in the 70s with the environmental movement, a whole other philosophy began to emerge, which was the idea that we have to live more, well, sustainably, to use the, the overused word.
1: Biologist and environmental activist
0: Rachel Carson speaking. in So I think that what's being played out now is just a heightened version of that. And really what it reflects is a whole, this whole different philosophy of, of how to produce food. And it's really quite a challenge to industrial agriculture and so it shouldn't surprise anyone that industrial agriculture and its many uh, its many branches is spending a lot of money now uh, to try to convince people that industrial agriculture is uh, safe and sensible and and necessary so there's there's a there's a debate about specific ways of raising animals and specific ways of producing crops. And there's also debate going on about the whole philosophy of what constitutes good food and what constitutes good agriculture.
1: So we've heard a summary of how industrial agriculture and the ongoing debates over food production got their starts. To help clarify why those debates continue to be so heated, here's Glenn Stone again to discuss one aspect of factory farming getting a lot of attention, antibiotic use in farm animals.
0: One of the things that we started doing when we started to develop major um, grain surpluses after World War II was that we split the old farm ecology of animals and crops being grown on the same farm into two different kinds of farms. So now we have specialized grain producers using fertilizer-intensive grains, and then we have factory farms where the animals are fed the surplus grain. And in order to make factory farms most profitable, factory farms are allowed to uh, pack in enormous numbers of fowl and swine and cows into small amounts of space. And it's very unhealthy, and the way they keep them going is by feeding them with large doses of antibiotics. So it's subtherapeutic use of antibiotics. This is not giving antibiotics to an animal because it's sick. This is just routinely putting antibiotics into their feed. So if you wanted to set up a laboratory to produce antibiotic-resistant bacteria, this is exactly what you would come up with. And so it should surprise nobody that we have rising numbers of antibiotic-resistant bacteria, um, some of which have nothing to do with agriculture, like tuberculosis, but some of which do. And the best example is this Terrifying bacterium called MRSA, which is methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, which is um, almost certainly, uh, which has almost certainly become resistant to antibiotics uh, because of antibiotic re- use overuse in factory farms. Staphylococcus aureus is a common bacterium, but if you uh, are in a situation where you're regularly giving low doses of antibiotics to large numbers of animals, you set up the perfect laboratory for the antibiotic-resistant variants of MRSA to survive and gradually to uh, to outcompete the others. And once the, you get larger um, numbers of these bacteria, um, they seem to they. Pr- they probably spread mainly through the farmers themselves, and then on to the community. But it's not known exactly how it spreads. And MRSA is a, a major problem in hospitals now. So there's there are a lot of cases of hospital-acquired MRSA, and we're now getting cases of community-acquired MRSA. So people get this just in the community without even going um, without even going into the hospital.
1: Despite known risks, the agriculture industry in the U.S. is booming. Here's Professor Stone again to walk us through an important consideration in any industry. Where's the money?
0: Agriculture is one of the biggest industries that we have in this country. And people think of uh, the farm lobby and they think, wow, how many farmers are there? How could they be such a big lobby? But the real money in agriculture is not in the farmers. It's in the input producers. It's in the, uh, the people that... Uh, produce the fertilizer, and the people that produce the natural gas to make the fertilizer. And it's in the people that, uh, the production of tractors and the production of steel to make the tractors. And it's in pesticides, and it's in genetic modification of crops. And it's even in consultants. So, and it's in banks. There's an enormous amount of money that goes into running agriculture in this country. And a lot of that money um, is channeled back into uh, political influence. So we do things this way for largely, largely for political reasons. People have to realize that our government spends large amounts of money on research that goes into industrial agriculture. And some of this is direct research by the government, by the USDA. And a lot of it is money that comes from funders like the National Science Foundation to researchers to try to develop technologies to help industrial agriculture. The amount of money that goes to try to help small-scale farming and sustainable farming is minuscule compared to this. So when you consider how much it costs for you to buy corn on the cob or a pork chop at the, at the grocery store, you have to remember that you've already paid for a lot of the research that went into making that stuff cheap. Industrial agriculture produces a long list of environmental and public health problems, and it's what economists call externalizing costs. Um, and it's, in my view, a major failing of our government that it simply allows the the farmers to pass on these costs to to the public, to the environment, and to future generations.
1: Many thanks to Glenn Stone for contributing to Hold That Thought this week. You can find a link to his blog on our website, thought.artsci.wustl.edu. In our next episode for Farms and Food, we once again ask, how did this all get started? But this time, the answer will take us back thousands of years to the very beginnings of human agriculture. Check it out on our website. Once again, we're at thought.artsci.wustl.edu. Thanks for listening.